Well, it is great to be back with you this morning, dads and everybody else. Uh, we're going to be in 2 Peter this morning. 2 Peter, I think you've been in Genesis. That's an easy book to find. Uh, 2 Peter, not so much. So if you're new to the Bible, start at the end, Revelation, and you'll, do, you'll see 1, 2, 3, John, and you'll see 2 Peter as well there. So I want to invite you into 2 Peter. It's a brief little letter. It probably wouldn't even take you 20 minutes this afternoon if you wanted to read the whole little letter of 2 Peter. It's a letter that focuses on the return of Christ and especially for Christians who are struggling under oppression. To follow Jesus would be to lose everything and to become this persecuted minority. And so Peter speaks to them and says, be patient. Christ has a plan. Trust in his promise. But Peter also warns these same Christians about the rising popularity of false teachers. Preachers and teachers who will claim to be biblical, who will claim the gospel even, but will live lives in rebellion against Jesus Christ. But before Peter gets there, at the very beginning of this letter, Peter wants to anchor these Christians in their relationship with Christ. They were experiencing very, very difficult circumstances, and he wants all of them to be able to put their heads on the pillow at night, secure in Christ. And he gives them a process for how to live day in and day out as a growing, maturing Christian that will give to them this strength of heart. As Peter will say toward the end of our passage, he wants them to make their calling and election sure, to confirm it in their own minds that they are secure in their relationship with Christ. So how does a person come to be secure, to be confident, to be assured in our relationship? Because the reality is that all of us trip up along the way. And someone here this morning undoubtedly is living in some sense of insecurity. Like, I, I know that the Bible says God loves me, but I don't feel it. How do I grow to be personally confident that I have this relationship with Christ? What Peter is going to say is that the Christian journey is full of grace. And I want us to see that again this morning. It's also full of grit. So grace and grit. Now some of you are so southern that you heard grace and grits. He thought, that's the perfect name of a restaurant or a band or something like this. No, no, just grace and grit. And it happens that the decor could not be more perfect, Donald. I can't believe you've lined up even the decor for, uh, for this text, grace and grit. What Peter wants to show us is, wants to call us as Christians to let every grace fuel every effort. Let every grace fuel every effort. Growing as a Christ follower comes from both grace and grit. Christ has given us everything we need, so we have every reason to apply every effort to the Christian journey. So notice 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. His divine power has granted to us 
all things that pertain to life and godliness. And this came to us, notice, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. And by this, he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through them, the promises, so that through them, you may become partakers of the divine nature. And what's that like? Peter describes it. Having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. Now notice this next phrase. It's Peter's application to all that grace. Notice verse 5. For this very Reason He ties now what he's about to say, he ties it as tightly as possible to verses 3 to 4. He says, for this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and virtue with knowledge and so on. He says, make every effort to grow in Christ. And all this is heading one particular direction, verse 10 Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities that he's just described, if you practice them, you'll never fall away in this journey of life. Instead, verse 11, in this way, there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. No doubt, everyone gathered here this morning wants that, a rich entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Peter shows us how. Brothers and sisters, I just want to call us this morning, whether you are brand new Christian and put your faith in Jesus for the first time this last week, or whether you've walked around the block with Jesus for decades, I want to call you to make every effort to grow in Christ, letting every grace that he's given to us fuel every effort. Peter starts by reminding us that Jesus has set us up to succeed in this Christian journey. Or as Paul will say in one of his letters, you are complete in Christ. You are complete in Christ. He starts here in verse 3 by saying his divine power has given us everything that we need. The his most likely is referring to Jesus Christ and the divine power is most likely referring to the resurrection power. So what Paul will say is that when Christ ascended on high, he took captives captive and Christians argue about what in the world that means. And then he says, and we don't argue about this, he gave gifts to people. Peter is queuing into that same great truth that he has given us, and these are his words, out of his divine power, he has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Uh, most people agree now that Peter is not talking about Christ giving us all things that pertain to two things, life and godliness, but actually one thing, a godly life. That's not to say that Jesus does not provide our daily bread and so much more for this life. But here, the emphasis is on this godly life, living in these virtues that Christ has given to us and called us to. 
The first thing that I would just note for us this morning is that Peter says that because of Christ, you are good to go for this entire life. He has given you everything you need for a godly life. Christ makes Christians Christ-like. Christ gives us what we need and what has he given us? The list is so long, we would be here the rest of today thinking it through. But just think about a few things. He's given us clear instruction to follow. And not just one gospel, but four. And not just four accounts of the life of Jesus, but all the letters and all the stories and all the prophecies. And as was read earlier, even songs from Psalms. He's given us such clear instruction. But more than that, he's given, us in, he's given encouragement to persevere. And in so many ways, he's given us that encouragement. But Jesus said, I am with you to the end of the age. No matter where you are, no matter what you're doing, I am present there with you. But best of all, I think, at the top of the list, Jesus Christ gave the Holy Spirit too. It was Christ himself who said, it is better that I go so that I can leave the Spirit to be in you. Christ has given us the Holy Spirit who is a fruit-bearing force of nature. Think about the gift that you have. Think about what Christ has given you. He's given you the Holy Spirit who is actively working in you to produce love and joy and peace and gentleness and meekness and faithfulness and so much more. He has given you all things that you need for living this godly life. Beyond that, the Holy Spirit has given us a clean conscience cleaned away our guilt and shame, given us a secure footing before God, and not just cleaned our consciences, but began to sensitize our consciences in all the right ways. So we think more and more as Christ would and feel more and more as Christ would and do more and more what Christ would do. Beyond this, he has given us peace with God Beyond this, he has given us freedom from the slavery of sin. And beyond that, he's given us ongoing promise of forgiveness so that when we trip up again, we run again to Jesus. Peter is thinking in just this short little phrase of that and so much more. His divine power has given to us all that we need for living a godly life. So you are, Christian, good to go for this entire journey. But the journey doesn't stop. Death and the grave is not the end of it. And we know that as Christians, but notice where Peter goes next in verse four. Not only has he given us what we need for a godly life now, but verse four, by which he has granted us precious and very great promises. Christ has not only taken care of us for this life, but promises that look through time into eternity. And when Peter says very great and precious promises, 
He's not thinking of precious like precious moments figurines that make us feel warm, which is great. He's thinking of very great and precious like precious metal, like gold, like the things in life that are truly priceless. These promises that Christ himself has given are priceless, great promises. They are promises that promise to us an eternal bliss with our creator, a heavenly feast forever. The kingdom of God is ours, and we are priests before our Savior Jesus Christ forever. Brothers and sisters, heaven is ours. Christ has promised it. The promise includes final salvation, resurrection of our entire bodies, salvation from God's judgment, no hell, though I deserved it. The promise includes especially this. Notice what Peter says. He's given us very great and precious promises so that through them you may, notice this, become partakers of the divine nature. You may share in this divine nature. And what is that like? Totally having escaped from the corruption that is in the world a world that is spurred on and moved and animated by sinful, evil, twisted desires. He has granted to us these precious promises and one of those amazing promises is freedom from corruption. Freedom from corruption and renewed desires so that we share the divine nature. Peter is not saying that we become little gods. He's not saying that we become exactly like Christ. No, Peter is saying that we experience resurrection bodies and minds and wills. A mind, brothers and sisters, imagine this, a mind that only ever thinks like God himself, a will that only ever wants what Christ himself does, what very great and precious promises are these for us. Christ has given us this grace, grace enough for the journey here, grace enough for life forever in this life and the life to come. And this all comes to us, verse 3. Just go back to verse 3. Look at the end. Through the knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Brothers and sisters, we are good to go for this life and the life to come by coming to know Christ. You probably know this if you've been around for, to ch church for any amount of time. The knowledge here, he's not talking about a growing information about Jesus, knowing about Jesus. He is talking about when the information changes to intimacy so that our knowledge about Jesus becomes such a deep and rich and loving knowledge of Christ that we know him to be our savior. We know him to be our king. All of this grace came to us at that conversion moment, this knowledge of salvation, when he, when he called us 
It says, through the knowledge of him who called us to this. And this call here is not referring to a a phone call. I don't know if on your phone it says something like mine, answer, or what does yours say? Decline, reject, whatever. What Peter is referring to here is a call like a wake-up call. Peter is imagining that we are, like Paul says, dead in transgressions of sin and sins, asleep in our sin, and Christ graciously wakes us up to this reality and in mercy calls us to himself. So brothers and sisters, I just want to invite us to bask in this grace. What a generous king and savior we have. Could we have it any better? Peter doesn't think so. He's given us everything we need for this life and forever through our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now here's one of the things that it means and it is a challenge I hope to all of us. If this is true, what it means is that we have no excuses. And sometimes we like to make excuses. Excuses are as old as Adam and Eve, right? It's the woman you gave me. Like the first conversation about sin and temptation to sin, humans come up with excuses. When we hear Peter in one of his letters say, be holy as I am holy, we might think, That is such a high and lofty goal. How can I possibly attain it? We should run back to a truth like this. Christ has given me everything I need to live a holy life. Or we hear Jesus summarizing the whole Bible in this. And my, how massive it is. Love God with all your heart and soul and mind and strength and love your neighbor as yourself. And not just that. Do you remember what else Jesus teaches us? to love even our enemies. However in the world can I do that? You might just jot this down as an encouragement to remember. Christ supplies all that Christ demands. Christ never makes a call on us. I think we all agree, be holy, love God, love your neighbor, love your enemies. Those are clear scriptural expectations for us. Christ supplies what Christ demands. He has given us everything we need for life and godliness. So, so we shouldn't say things like this. And unfortunately, I've told myself this. The devil made me do it. Ever use that one? Ever felt that one? The devil made me do it. Now the devil is real. He's tempting. There are demons who are testing. But there is, Paul says, no temptation too great. God will always even make a way of escape through the temptation. But I love how Peter says it in 1 Peter. He realizes it. He says, the devil is a roaring lion prowling around. That's a fact. And do you know what Peter says? Resist him by standing firm in the faith. And James picks it up from there, James 4, 7. Listen to this. It's an unconscionable truth almost. Resist the devil and he will... Remember that? You and I both know, in and of ourselves, we are no match for the devil. 
Because Christ has given us all that we need for a godly life, the devil is no match for us. Because Christ is powerfully at work in us. That's not arrogance, that's Bible. Resist him and he must flee. So we should not say, we should not think, ah, the devil made me do it. And we should also not think, and we hope to encourage you with this, I can't overcome this stubborn sin, this addiction. I feel so defeated. Friends, I just want to encourage you with this. His divine power has given you everything you need for a godly life there. Whatever that is. You'll need help. You'll need others. You'll need community. You'll need accountability. You got this because of what Christ has given to you. It's amazing. The Bible recognizes that we as Christians will go on and we'll stumble and we'll fall. And the Bible says, when you fall, confess your sin, repent, run back to the cross of Christ. There is forgiveness enough there for that too. And then run to obey Christ. Brothers and sisters, bask in his grace. Resist any excuse Christ has set us up well for a godly life, providing everything that we need. I'll never forget in high school, some friends and I would leave Kansas City, Missouri, where I was born and raised, and we would drive across I-70. It's the boringest stretch of the United States ever. I-70 across Kansas. Some of you are snickering like you've driven that. Field after field after field after field. Go into Colorado and we would do our best to hike the tallest mountain in Colorado called Mount Elbert. Did it a few times, made it to the top once. What came before that long, boring journey was months and months and months of preparation. There was research into new gear that weighed very little. Just the right pack, just the right sleeping bag, only what you need. But then there was also this, and it was my least favorite part about training to climb Mount Elbert. It was the workouts. My friends and I would go to Winnetonka High School where it's sort of on the side of a hill and they carved out a football field and track and a soccer field and whatever. But between the football field and the soccer field and the tennis courts, there are these hills. It felt like they were straight up, but they were probably like this. And we would put our packs on and we would put weights in our packs and we would go up and down the hills. Up and down the hills. Now, Kansas City, Missouri doesn't have quite as much humidity as Spartanburg, South Carolina, but it gets hot. And in June and July and August, you're going up and down the hills with packs, sweating. In order to arrive at Mount Elbert and have any chance of summiting Mount Elbert, it requires all of this supplementing of all of the things that are needed, the food, the gear, but not too much, just enough. But then you know what it took? 
I mean, imagine if we drove across that boring stretch of I-70, parked with our bags packed, and we just sat there looking up at the mountain. Well, that's not why we're there. But what has to happen is getting it out, putting it on, and starting the arduous trek of climbing to base camp, of acclimating our lungs, of doing day trips, and finally of going to the top. Peter imagines that the Christian journey is a little bit like that. Christ has supplied all that we need. And then what should we do? Peter has one specific application in mind. Look back at verse 5. He says, for this very reason, because of all this grace, because of all these incredible promises, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and so on. He says, make every effort to grow to grow to be more and more like Christ. Now, when preachers start talking about effort, Christians usually twitch, and I do too. The Christian life really is all of grace. We came to Christ because of his mercy and grace, nothing that I did, zero. What Peter wants us to rec recognize is that walking this Christian journey calls for straining and striving, as Jesus himself will say, to deny ourselves and to take up our cross and to follow him, Jesus never imagines that it's an easy trek. I would never preach these words if it were not these words in this book, verse five, Christian. For this very reason, because of all that grace, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue and so on. Let every grace fuel every effort. Because of Christ, we must make every effort to live this godly life. There is grace, more grace than we can even imagine. And it is a call for a life of grit. Let every grace fuel every effort. Peter lays out a process for growth that starts with faith and ends with love and includes all the virtues. It's a, it's a little snapshot of a maturing Christian. But he focuses not so much at the start here on how to grow, but how much it takes to grow. He says, make every effort. Effort, you know, is a gritty word. But then Peter says, every effort. It's what Paul says in Ephesians 4, make every effort to live in peace. And Peter, at the end of this letter in 2 Peter 3, he comes back to this. He says, while you are waiting for all the promises, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in his sight. The phrase literally means bring every effort to the task, or we might say, Put your heart and soul into it. Give it everything. Leave it all on the field. That's what my soccer coach in high school would say. I still hear it because I couldn't stand it. And it wasn't just halftime of the championship game. Leave it all on the field. Push through the pain. It was the two-a-days in August. Did you ever have that with soccer or football? Two-a-days in August, 6 a.m. as I recall, 6 p.m. Practices where 
you're coming off of a summer where you thought you were keeping up with your conditioning until the coach says, start doing the Indian run and you run with your team around the field and the guy in the back sprints to the front and yells something out and then the next guy sprints and the coach is standing there in the middle of the field saying, push through the pain. Leave it all on the field. This is where championships are won. And I must confess, I always thought, no, they're not. No, they're not won. Like, I know this is an important part of it, but we have a long season, and I don't know if I'm going to make it to the end. Athletes oftentimes captivate our attention. I don't know if you're following the NBA finals. They oftentimes captivate our attention because... They have aligned their lives so focused on being the most incredible athletes, basketball stars, football stars, you name it. They've aligned their whole lives with maximum effort. Whether it's the monotony of shooting free throws again and again or running the same routes, same simple routes. The time in the gym where there's no excuses. One of my workout coaches growing up tried to brainwash us, I think, by telling us that pain is a beautiful thing. <laughs> Not ain't. It's hideous. I don't want that. But I did want the outcome to be able to jump higher, run faster, and all the skills. What is most amazing to me these days is the very specific diet that professional athletes, college athletes go to to maximize their energy and also their recovery. The dietitian that is assigned to the teams and to the people. They don't ask them, what do you like? What do you want? No, no, no. This is what you're going to get. This will maximize your energy, and also your recovery. In the world of sports, most of our athletes captivate our attention because their entire lives are aligned with maximum effort to succeed. And Peter is calling on us here, friends, it is our opportunity, it is our high calling, it is our privilege to align our lives with maximum effort for maximum godliness. The world needs this from us. Christ calls us to this. So brothers and sisters, as you can see, what Peter is imagining is the opposite of a kind of kicked back, coasting Christianity. One, like me, I hate to say, at times in my Christian journey, it's plateaued, and I kind of feel like, you know, I'm just going to chill to glory, or I just wake up recognizing that my life indicates that I'm planning on just chilling to glory. This call of Peter to make every effort to build out faith into virtue and virtue into excellence, excellence into self-control and so much more. It's even more than a kind of proactive, intentional, diligent obedience. That's sort of the low bar. No, this idea goes way further, friends. It summons us to strain and to stretch, to do everything we can possibly imagine. I love how one lady put it, actually in a business book, the CEO of IBM, Jenny Romte, wrote this, growth and comfort 
cannot coexist. It's what my weight trainer was saying. Pain is a beautiful thing. You either get growth or you're just in a comfort zone. Peter is saying, Christian friend, wherever your Christian comfort zone ends, push that line more. Whatever your Christian status quo is, status quo no longer. Coasting along is great for fuel efficiency. Is terrible for the Christian journey. Christ calls us through Peter, make every effort. Now, you might be wondering, there is a phrase in Jesus, what he says, something that it, it might be your, your sort of life slogan, and it's a beautiful slogan. It seems uh, kind of inconsistent with what Peter is saying here. I don't know if you've heard this phrase or if it may be one of your favorite phrases from Jesus. It's a beautiful phrase. When Jesus looks at an audience one day in Matthew 11 and says, come to me, I'll give you rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. So how does that fit with Peter saying, and your Bible says it, I think, no matter what translation, verse 5, make every effort. How do these two things fit together? Well, Jesus himself says that to follow him is a yoke and a burden. Those are Jesus' own words, which is to say it's going to take effort. But he says it is easy and light. And maybe he's saying it for this exact reason, that he has given us everything we need for this godly life, that he's given us the Holy Spirit to help us along. We are yoked to Christ by the omnipotent Holy Spirit. In that context in Matthew 11, Jesus is contrasting following him with the empty religion of the Pharisees. And he is saying, the move is monumental. Pharisaic religion is a call to live a holy life of devotion to God without the supply that Jesus Christ gives. But the Christian journey is a journey of rest. My yoke is easy and my burden is light because Christ has given us all that we need for this Christian journey. This text, friends, and as I encourage you, I would, I would invite you to read the entire letter this afternoon even. It's so encouraging because Peter looks to two things in particular to give us security and confidence as a Christ follower. And it's not perfection. And it's not arrival. It's actually progress and effort. As you're working and exerting and making hard, maturing, sacrificial decisions, Peter says, look at that. Let that give you confidence and encouragement. And you'll notice if you step back, you'll notice the progress that you're making in this Christian journey. And Peter says, this is how we make our calling and election sure. So again, let me call on us to resist certain ideas about the Christian journey. And maybe you've heard, maybe you believe. Some Christians and even preachers these days are saying the Christian life is basically a kingdom cakewalk. Follow Jesus and everything will go smooth. He'll take care of everything that you need. Peter says, make every effort, which is to say resistance is everywhere. 
It's in you because of your flesh. It's around you because you live in a broken world. It's beside you because Satan is prowling about. Brothers and sisters, I just want to encourage you. Jesus never promised, follow me and I'll make your life a breeze. He never did. Just the opposite. It's one of the things that finally drew me to Jesus Christ to become his follower. Jesus was so honest, so straightforward. He says, follow me, and it's going to look like this. Deny yourself. Take up your cross. and Walk in my steps. Follow me. There's a second danger that we might think or feel, especially after a sermon like this. We might think, you know, I got this. I can do this. Forgetting all that Christ has given to us. Oh, yes, it takes effort. Oh, yes, we should roll our sleeves up. But the Christian journey is not merely about you doing your best, but also about resting in Christ, praying, depending on him. I love how Paul summarizes his entire life. I suspect if anyone here knows about Paul, we would say, man, I would love to live that kind of life of Christ-like devotion. And Paul sums up his life this way. I am what I am by the grace of God. He doesn't look back and says, boy, look at all the effort I've put into it. He says, look at all the grace. Dads in particular this morning, I just want to invite you to recharge your spiritual energy and your effort. I have five children one of them's with me this morning. I've five children. I don't know where the other four are. No, just kidding. I know, I know they were, they're, they're with mom. Good hands, better hands. You spend a lot of effort, as I do, for your work, 8, 10, sometimes 12 hours a day, and that is good. That is Christ's call on us to work hard. We spend a lot of effort on a lot of other good things. That's great. I want to just remind us that when it comes to our spiritual journey, to apply every effort, to put your heart and soul and mind in there. This is why Christians and Christian leaders and Christian fathers over the centuries have come to the conclusion oftentimes that it takes getting up early and prioritizing a relationship with Christ first thing in order for anything else to happen. I know come 6 p.m., I'm shot. <laughs> My brain is maybe 25% and I'm just trying to hang on till I go to bed. Dads, sociologists are doing an increasing number of surveys on Christians and churches and parents and fathers and kids and helping evangelical kids get through college, which is a huge challenge, into mature adult Christianity. And the number one factor that these sociologists are finding is it's amazing to have a crazy, passionate mom who loves Jesus, but the deciding factor is a crazy, passionate dad who loves Jesus. We started the service this way. I just want to challenge you. As dads, lean in to this calling and not just for your kids and not just for your wife, but for the Christ who lived and died and rose again for your eternal salvation. 
Beyond dads, I just want to invite us, just in general at least, to pull ourselves back and say, okay, in general, have we gotten too comfortable in this Christian journey or are there areas in my life that are showing signs of really a great deal of exertion? And I know in this room there are. I want to commend you for that. Keep on. That's exactly the kind of Christian journey that Peter is calling us to. Make every effort. But maybe for today, for you, what it takes is taking one of these virtues or one of the spiritual disciplines you know about, you don't need more instruction on, but just saying, I'm going to do whatever it takes to make that characteristic more true of me. I'm going to do whatever it takes to that, make that spiritual discipline true of me day in and day out. Brothers and sisters, I want to encourage you. I want to encourage you that because of every grace, because Christ has given you everything you need for a godly life, let that fuel every effort for this journey. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this word from Second Peter. I ask you, Lord, that as it challenges and moves us, that we would bask in your grace. Oh, that we would soak in it. And just keep meditating on it. What a gracious God and King you are. We can have it no better. You've given us everything we need for the journey that you have us on. You're too, too kind. Help us just to fathom a little bit more this morning of your grace knowing that there are infinite oceans to be explored, to be delighted in, to be enjoyed. And Lord, as we are refueled by meditating on your grace, by soaking in your promises, I ask you, Lord God, that you would give us the help that we need to align our lives, to apply every effort we can to living more and more like our Savior. Not to get anything back from you. We have all our blessings are secure because of your Son. <clears throat> but Lord, as a gift and a thank offering back to you to apply our lives to following you. <clears throat>